Existence precedes essence. What do you think? Hey everybody, I'm Mike Westendorf. I am the host of Mike Check, this video podcast talking about Christianity and culture, applying a biblical worldview to just the everyday life, and uh, just have an opportunity to talk about things that we see in the world and things that we see in the Bible, and and hopefully, uh, God willing, help make some sense of it that you can apply to your life. And uh, we have been enjoying some time with Pastor Luke Thompson, uh, who wrote a book. Uh, it's been out for a couple of years now, but uh, a fantastic read, very helpful for me. It's called Your Life Has Meaning, Discovering Your Role in an Epic Story. If you haven't seen the first one, I highly, highly recommend you just spend 25 minutes with us and uh, kind of catch up to speed here a little bit. But we're going to kind of dive back into uh, the conversation. Uh, it was it was so good that I just had to take wait, take a break because we could keep talking for an hour. And uh, I don't want the internet to screw up our Zoom call. So uh, at this point, I'm going to bring in uh, Luke Thompson again. And Luke, just want to, again, welcome you back to this this show, this podcast. It has been fantastic to have you with us. Man, uh, God has given you some blessings and some insights. Um, we left off kind of talking about uh, short-term value, and it was going to lead into a question that I had, that something that you wrote about called Cosmic Meaning. But... Uh, before I get to that, or maybe you can kind of segue over it, but I had mentioned, you know, when we're off air, just the idea of the pursuit of value. I, I identify with that. So I'm a, you know, you know me. I've, I've been a singer songwriter. I I was on a record label for a little while. Did the Nashville thing, working with those, and thinking, you know, I can get on radio and blah blah blah. And then sure enough, I put my music out there, and nobody buys it. Not a lot of people listen to it. And all of a sudden, I'm thinking, here's all my work. Did it have any value? And I think every one of us on some level can think that. You know, the person who's retiring, looking back over at his life and now wondering what's coming, did I have any value? You know, are there any stories that matter that are attached to my life? Um, uh, You know, for the mom whose kids are, are grown older and she loved being a mom and now all of a sudden she's not mom the way that she was anymore. Does my life still have value? And we talked about this idea that, um, you need, I mean, in our world, what confuses people is that we do see the need for value. And we, in fact, are, that's what all of our marketing is about. Value me, value me, value me. Um, tell everybody about how much you value me, you know, but none of that really satisfies because it doesn't last. And as soon as we stop being valued, that, that doesn't last. But we talked off air about the importance of the biblical worldview because even our work is valued if there is somebody to give it transcendent value. And I don't know if that's enough to pick up and start running with, but... Sure. Um, yeah, there was a famous film called Chariots of Fire. And in that film, there's two main characters. One is an atheist and the other one is a Christian. And they're both track runners and they're in the Olympics. And what's interesting is that the atheist track runner, at some point he begins dreading getting first place. He dreads getting the gold medal because he's, he's wondering what will happen to me? What will become of my life and my purpose once I achieve that, right? Oh. And so if, what, if how we're valued is completely contingent on what we do with our lives and what we do, uh, what we're able to accomplish, things like that all of a sudden things get very dicey. 
um, how important is it that you're uh, a famous, good athlete? Is that really all that important for, for this world and for, for, you know, what happens a thousand years from now? Uh, let's say you're um, just a house mother or house father, right? Just taking care of kids at home. We tend to look down on those things because there aren't a whole lot of major accomplishments, right? That kind of are earth shattering that are attached to that, or at least we don't see those things very right. well. And so if our value is simply going to be based on the judgments that other people make, then we're in a lot of trouble at that point. Then there's just huge amounts of questions. Um, we're always constantly asking ourselves, am I worth anything? Am I doing anything of value in my life? And unless I do these things, usually things that are defined by other people, then I really don't have much value to what I'm doing in my life. Or we find ourselves at points where we just don't know what to do with our lives and we feel like we're spinning our wheels. What's interesting is that one of the major doctrines in Lutheran theology is this idea of vocation. And vocation is something that really plays right into this idea of a meta narrative. So the meta narrative, again, is this idea that there is this transcendent story that all of our individual stories fit within. Mm -hmm. And so my life fits within this much grander meta narrative that the Bible provides for us that there is a God that created a good world, that it fell into sin and humanity with it. And then over time, God had a plan to save us from our sins and from the evil that came into this world and from ourselves. And through his death on the cross, we're fully forgiven from our sins. And not just that, but we've been transformed from enemies into his allies. Yeah. And now this is all working towards his good ending, right? Um, and so this is how a Christian views the world. Now we can begin to see where our lives fit within that, because if this world, if history is a meta narrative of God's, if it is the story that he is ultimately telling and working forward, then everything that happens in this universe, God makes part of his purposes and part of his designs. And so that means whatever happens in my life, it has value because God is using it in his overarching story. That means hmm. the vocations that he's created for me the places where he's put me that are unique uh, and unique to me alone, I'm there to do something that functions within that larger story. Now, I only have a, a general idea of what this larger story is, the things that have been revealed in the Bible. I don't right. know all the particulars of everything that goes on throughout history and how it plays into the story, but I know that if my life is part of this larger story, then everything that happens within it, God turns towards his purposes, towards this end. And so that means regardless of what I'm doing in my life right now, it has value because God has placed me there with my vocations and relationships and the people around me to do these things. Everything from delivering pizzas to coming up with COVID-19 uh, um, uh, vaccines, right? right? No matter how big or how small they feel, God has a place that he has put this in his larger story. This also means then that the, the, even the mistakes that I, I was hoping you'd go there, that I commit, yeah. right. Mm -hmm. Or the sins that other people commit. Right. Right. So God is not the author of evil. He can't be, he's good all the way through, but he is able to weave this evil into his plan for his good ending. And so that means even the, times that things go wrong in my life, I know that God is weaving that into his plan, that he's going to somehow use it for good. I might not ever be able to discover it this side of heaven. Sometimes we can, 
see how God's going to use it, but sometimes we can't. But I know that God is using it for the good of his children, for the good of his people towards that good ending. And so this this narrative, everything takes on cosmic value and cosmic meaning. Um, But you take away that meta narrative and you lose it all. Right, right. Mm -hmm. I I love that you went there with that because, you know, if somebody's listening in or watching um, this, I mean, yeah, what what do we talk about in terms of Christian redemption? I mean, what can that possibly mean? The value that I've brought to a situation is actually negative value. Look at the damage that I've done or the damage that somebody else did to me. What what possible value can the untimely death of somebody have in, in this world? And yet God's whole eternal purpose is that there wouldn't be one person who would be separated eternally from him, but that all would come to a saving faith. So he uses it all. And I, so I'm really glad that you went, you went there um, because that's, that's that gospel picture, guys. That's the, man, that's the, that's the, that's the good news that Christianity has that, that no other religion can offer. And I was going to tell you too, as you were talking about, I was so glad that you, um, you weaved in uh, the Silmarillion. Uh, uh, you know, I don't know if you want to set that story up, but I just, I just love, I love the picture. The first time I ever read it, I went, oh my goodness, that is so good. I wonder if anybody but an artist is going to get it, but then you put it in the book. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, so the Silmarillion, that's, uh, the story, the book that Tolkien wrote as kind of the basis, right. Of the foundational myths for his whole mm-hmm. middle earth saga. I think what's also maybe a good kind of powerful image of this is maybe instead of the Silmarillion, since there's a lot that goes into that, you know, a lot of explaining for for listeners that don't know what it is to get into it. Just maybe think of the Lord of the Rings, right? At the very beginning of my book, I got this one quote from the Lord of the Rings. And uh, let me just read it real quick here. Mm -hmm. So this is from the Return of the King, where you have Frodo and Sam, they're in Mordor, and uh, they're trying to get then to Mount Doom. And they're in just these two tiny little hobbits in the middle of this desolate wasteland. And in Mordor, there is always this, this, uh, this, this cloud that, that hangs over the entire continent, this very, or this, the entire land, this dark cloud that is always up there. And so this is from this section, the two hobbits, as they're making their way through Mordor, they're peeping among the cloud rack above a dark tower high up in the mountains Sam saw a white star twinkle for a while. The beauty of it smote his heart as he looked up out of the forsaken land and hope returned to him. For like a shaft, clear and cold, the thought pierced him that in the end, the shadow was only a small and passing thing. There was light and high beauty forever beyond its reach. And so what what Tolkien's painting here is, if you've ever been in the middle of a storm, Right in, mm-hmm. in the actual middle of a storm, you look up and the clouds, they just seem to go on for infinity in every direction, right? North, south, east, right. west. It looks as if it never ends. And looking up, because it's just the ceiling of clouds, it could infinitely go that way as well. Right. So you've got, you've got this feeling of just this kind of infinite darkness that hangs above you. But those moments that the clouds separate and you're able to see the star twinkle through the the clouds right through that split of the clouds and sam looks up and he sees that star up there it reminds him that this storm it's only a passing thing there are ends to it and even above the storm there's a far more transcendent higher reality of light and goodness that's there 
And so analogously, the whole point here is in our lives, when we are in the middle of struggles, it feels as if this is all there is. There's only the conflict. There's only the sin. There's only the troubles that I'm going through. And it looks as if it could go forever and it could go infinitely up and infinitely north, south, east, west, as if there's no end to it. But like that star that smotes Sam's heart, the gospel message is our light, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the way that uh, Peter describes it in second Peter, right? It is this light that's shining in the darkness, the gospel message. And it reminds us that the shadow is only a passing thing. That's what the meta narrative gives us. It reminds us that the shadows and the hardships of our lives, they are only a passing thing and that it will end, that there is a good ending and that there's light and goodness that's beyond the troubles and hardships that we're going through. It's just a matter of waiting for that darkness to pass as John writes in first John, right? That the darkness is passing. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm going to have us uh, skip to, to, to into some philosophy, um, and we were talking about it before. This was kind of what I, I teased on the intro, but uh, Sartre had made this statement that you, uh, you quoted him, um, saying, what do we mean, this is page 116, what do we mean by saying that existence precedes essence? We mean that man, first of all, exists, encounters himself, surges up in the world, and defines himself afterwards. Um, I, I thought this was an interesting chapter um, because here again is the comparison of the two meta narratives, the ab- above the sun narrative that is the transcendent value that only Christianity really brings. Every other worldview and every other religion falls far short of that because it falls under the sun. Um, and here it is. And I and I thought, man, this is. How many self-help books have been written with this idea of existence precedes essence? Could you talk a little bit more in detail about this? You do a great job in the book, but maybe just for uh, listeners and, and viewers' sake, talk about this, and then you, you did a direct comparison to comments that Augustine made uh, as well that flips it on its head. And again, again, it shows a perfect compare and contrast to these philosophical ideas that have very, very real-world impact because we can see both living out right in front of us. So uh, John Paul Sartre, he was an existentialist philosopher, especially writing in the mid-20th century, lots of works that he's famous for. The quote that you're reading, I think, is from his essay, Existentialism is to Humanism. And he's directly responding to Augustine in these words. And just maybe for some context with Sartre, so he's an atheist, um, but he's also a Frenchman and in, in, you know, dealing with World War II and things like that, found himself in a prison camp at one point. And as maybe if you put yourself in his shoe or maybe in the shoes of a Jewish person in a concentration camp or something like that, and there's this feeling that there might be this force, right? This evil Nazi force that's going to take over the world and they're trying to define who you are, right? They're telling Jewish people that you're literally not human and and things like this. And Mm -hmm. so are they right? You know, can another person just simply define me? Can they decide who I am? And Sartre says, no, they can't. Instead, you determine who you are and you're going to do this through your choices because that's all we have. So that's kind of the context and we can understand. So glad you put that in there. Thank you. Right. And what he's, what he's trying to accomplish. Yeah. But the problem is that, that he's, that he puts this forward as this idea that that existence precedes essence. And what he's talking about here is Augustine made this point that for the Christian, 
God, before he created this universe, he knew each and every one of us. So imagine a carpenter that's making, let's say a chair or a table, some piece of furniture. Before that carpenter ever even starts to work on that piece of furniture, let's say on that chair, before the carpenter ever starts work on that chair, does that chair exist? It does. It mm-hmm. exists in the mind of the carpenter, right? So right. before the carpenter brings the chair into existence, the chair is already there in essence in the mind of the carpenter. Everything that that chair will be is right there in his mind. Similarly, Augustine says, before this universe was ever created, certainly before you came into being, you were in the mind of God. So your essence, who you are, who you would be, the things that would happen to you, that all was in the mind of God before he even brought you into existence. So your essence, who you are, your value to God, all these things preceded your existence. Okay. It was in the mind of God before he even brought you into this world. He simply then created what was already in his mind, right? Uh, This dear child that, that he wanted to bring into this world. Now, if there is no God, we've got a big problem here because that means then that essence doesn't precede existence. It means in fact that there is no then essence before one's existence. And this is what Sartre says is the case. He's saying if there's no God, then we can't say essence precedes existence. The only other option then is existence precedes essence. You come into this world, you just pop up into this world without any value, without any designer that wanted to bring you into this world. You're just something that happened and came into this world. And now you are going to shape your own essence through your choices. So the choices that you make in your life are ultimately going to determine who you are. It's not the other way around. God didn't determine who you are and then brought you into existence. Instead, you came into existence and you are now are going to determine who you are. But the way you determine that is through your choices, which all sounds okay to a certain respect. And we can see how that could be very empowering for someone in a concentration camp or in a, in a, uh, a war camp or something like that, where you've right. got forces that are trying to redefine you and you're saying, no, you don't get to define me. I'm going to define myself through my choices. But the rub is, what kind of choices do we make? <laughs> if we are simply the amalgamation of all of our choices, if I am simply defined by the things that I do and that alone, that starts to become a very difficult thing to live with. Because sure, there's certain times that I do things that, that maybe are beneficial for the people around me. But if I am not just my actions, but my thoughts, right. those are choices as well, right? Yep. Um, my thoughts, right? And the things that flow from my heart and things like that, mm-hmm. then we can no longer say that I'm somehow good in that sense. And this is one of the, the powerful strengths of Christianity is it's brutal honesty about human nature, right? right? If we're just going to talk about humans, essentially what we're like, we are horrible beings, right? Um, there's, a, we, there's so much pain and suffering in this world that is the direct responsibility of human beings. And the amount of pain and suffering that I bring into this world or would if all of my thoughts actually manifested themselves in this world, man, all of a sudden I'm not looking all that good anymore. And then we get back to 
the discussion that we had before, you know, if, if all I am are the choices that I make in my life and what I make with my life and things like that, um, you're setting yourself up for some very dark nights right. where you're reflecting on, on all of the mistakes that you've made, uh, all of the evils that you've done, all of the things that you've entertained, man, right. Someone that's struggling with an addiction. Imagine if they are defined by their choices. Oh boy. If you tell them you are your choices and, uh, and, and they're struggling with, with an addiction. Right. Um, and you know, most of us are in some way, shape or form. Right. And so, so we've got all of that, right. That comes into play. So if Sartre's going to say that existence precedes essence because there is no God, and I think he's absolutely correct in this, if there is no God, then existence does precede essence that sets us up for a very dim view of this world. But if the Christian meta-narrative is correct, in fact, if there is this narrative, this meta-narrative that begins with you and I existing in that mind of God and that he had planned this story, this story that's filled with creatures that were going to make lots of choices and he was going to work through those choices for a good ending, that changes everything entirely because my value then is not based on the choices I make, but it's going to be based entirely on God and mm. on how he values me and how he places me in this story, right? Um, yeah. It's going to be entirely based on the blood that he's shed for me and covered me in and now identifies me through, right? Yeah, that whole idea. I mean, we talk a lot, you know, you and I both with respect to identity, just identity formation and and who we who we get to say that we are. And it's it strikes me in in our culture today, Northern Hemisphere, that this very much is the case. You know, technology allows me to to change who I am physically, um, my circumstances. Um, if only somebody would. Um, help me out, you know, or, or if I could have that, if I could have what those people have, I would be able to define myself differently. My existence and my essence would be so much better. Um, and yet it's a chasing after the wind, uh, as Solomon would say at the end of the day, it's all meaningless because it's really going back to what we talked about before the pursuit of short-term value is the best you're going to get. And, I do think about as I get older, I'm 46 now and I, you know, my parents are older now and we, we're having those older conversations that when we were in our twenties, we were like, nobody's got time to talk or think about these things, but now you do. And that idea of being up late at night with those kinds of thoughts, I think would probably possibly be one of the greatest tortures, uh, particularly when you said addictions, it's just, you know, yeah, cause all of us, if that's what defines us, that what a, what a what a disability and at that point i'm going to do everything i can to blame something else or somebody else and uh, even it's interesting to me so the movie zootopia uh it's a cute movie you know i it's a good movie and it's you know this bringing together all of these different people groups and and stuff and which is awesome but it was interesting because the sly fox tries to explain away as he gets older and apologizes to um the the officer hops, um, he makes the comment and he just, well, I was, I was filled with a lot of self-doubt and I was filled with a lot of rage and man, I was a real jerk. Wasn't exactly, you know, repentance, forgiveness necessarily. That was, that was again, what we, we try to find a very nice way to say, I was a jerk and then hope that you will accept that as a, no, I really offended you. What I did was evil. I am sorry. 
Uh, but we would rather look and say, well, I was filled with self-doubt. I was filled with anger issues. It came from my past or my circumstances. And God doesn't give us a pass on that. Uh, he gives us redemption on that. But if you're going to work under the sun, that's the best you can hope for is a pass. And then to be powerful enough to shut up anybody else who could accuse you. And I feel like that's a, very much what's happening in America, you know, social media, politics. I don't want to. I don't want to talk about what I do wrong. You know, you talked about uh, kind of toward the end of the book. You made a statement that I finally just said, "All right, I got to get my highlighter out on this one," um, because it it kind of it, it summed it up. If there was if there was a way to sum up the whole book, I thought this was the one. If you have no story, you have no purpose. And I was wondering if you might be able to uh, to speak into where did that. Where did that statement come from? I thought it profound, and, and again, it summarized a lot of what you were talking about really well, but it has profound implications for the, 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 for evaluating my situation and my stage of life right now and tomorrow when I get there. Yeah, I, I mentioned in our last podcast that uh, Alistair McIntyre had that statement mm-hmm. right, where he said, if I don't know what story I'm a part of, I don't know what to do, right? In order to know what to do, I need to know what story I'm a part of. So what does he mean by that? There was this interesting uh, bit of research that I came across as I was preparing, actually, we were talking about addictions, as I was uh, preparing to do counseling, dealing with addictions and things like that. And so I was reading some various books about addiction. And I came across this one quote, and if it's all right, I'd like to read it in full. I think it's very powerful. So uh, this was a book written about addictions and the author is now uh, citing a study. Okay. Okay. So this is what the author is saying. So there's Michael Chandler, Michael Chandler and his associates at the university of British Columbia canvassed native communities through much of Western Canada. What struck them almost immediately was the astounding suicide rate among teenagers, 500 to 800 times the national average infecting many of these communities but not all of them. Some native communities reported a low of zero, true for six tribal councils to a high of 633 suicides per 100,000. So 633 suicides per 100,000. Think about that. 633 per 100,000. That's getting close to 1%, right? Mm -hmm. What could possibly make the difference between places where teens had nothing to live for and those where teens had nothing to die for? The researchers began to talk to the kids. They collected stories. They asked teens to talk about their lives, about their goals, and about their futures. What they found was that young people from the high suicide communities didn't have stories to tell. They were incapable of talking about their lives in any coherent, organized way. They had no clear sense of their past, their childhood, and the generations preceding them. And their attempts to outline possible futures were empty of form and meaning. Unlike the other children, they could not see their lives as narratives, as stories. Their attempts to answer questions about their life stories were punctuated by long pauses and unfinished sentences. They had nothing but the present, nothing to look forward to. So many of them took their own lives. And so my point is not to say that they needed you know, if they just had Bibles and they'd be just fine. Right. Right. Um, the point is, is that if you have no sense of yourself being in a story, this is a major issue. And so when we look, especially at displaced peoples, this then gets reflected 
in a very empirical way, right? And things like suicide rates. If you don't know what your past is and you don't know what your future is, that has enormous effects on how you look at yourself and the value of yourself and what your purpose, if there is one, is in this world, right? Yeah. So that's huge. You need to see yourself in a story in order to know what to do with your life. And if you are convinced that there is no story and you are explicitly thinking of yourself in those senses, uh, then you kind of have as a result possibly what, what these psychologists were reporting, right? Or sociologists. And so we have a story, right? And we've got a story that contextualizes things like nothing else. It's not just a matter of knowing, you know, where our parents came from, but where our first parents came from and how evil came into this world and how there's a solution to that evil through, through the narrator himself that he built into his plans for salvation, a way to overcome the sin death and, and the powers of evil of this universe himself, right? Through his entering into this world and through his death, resurrection and ascension. And so through those things, we have a way to be able to now see where we are in the history of this world. And that goes back and it, and it, it makes everything have purpose and meaning, right? Yeah. So that's kind of what the purpose of the book was to do is to remind ourselves that there is this much greater story that we're a part of. And this greater story, this meta narrative, the biblical meta narrative, it should be the thing that we think about that makes us think about what we should do with our lives and how we look at other people and how we live. But you take that meta narrative away um, or if people are kind of free to create them, or if they just have no meta narrative, then they begin to construct their own in different ways, mm-hmm. or they find themselves kind of floating along um, in nothing, right? So, I mean, a good kind of a good kind of uh, illustration of this would be um, why is something like the 1619 Project something that that was such a big deal? Um, it's because it's a rewriting of a story, right? It's the creation of a new origin story for the United States and for the people of the United States. And so by giving a new origin story, this isn't just some type of nonchalant, pointless thing. It doesn't, it's not as if there's no effects from it. You change the story and you change how you see yourself uh, within that story and within life. And so that's why stories are so deeply important, where we see ourselves, where we come from, what the justification for us being here and the choices that we make are. Wow. That's huge. You know, as we, as we kind of wind down, um, I don't know if we talked about this explicitly, but I, as I was reading through it, I couldn't help but think that, you know, you are, I mean, you're so much smart that you put into this. Um, and, and I, you know, I'm a scientist and I, I'm, I love the apologetics and that's, that's even what this whole podcast is about is just trying to help you see that, that the, that the things that God talks about has a tremendous impact on your everyday life. It really, it really does. And it just struck me that I, I know people who were Christian, but aren't anymore or that aren't, but they're really nice people. Um, uh, and, and I, I sometimes wonder, it's like, how, how do how do we help people move fully into the the meta narrative of God of the Bible? Because it strikes me that most people really don't want to think about you know that whole essence and and uh, you know how we come into the world. 
I don't really want to think that out. I don't really really want to think about what atheism really means. I really don't want to think about the meaningless of 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 my life because it really only has short-term value. I don't want to think about that. Therefore, I will borrow from bits and pieces of this meta narrative and I will kind of construct something that allows me to be safe. And and if you're a Christian watching this, I, I would just say be careful because you're doing it too. Um, we, we, we both live in this world, and you had mentioned it in the first one, that we're not even aware of how our culture impacts us and, and gets us thinking about and misreading, you know, the importance of Scripture and, and, and things like that. So um, how, how do we help people? How do I help myself? You know, how, how does God help me move out of the gray area and really see it for what it is, or help people really see that what that philosophy means, and and how we can actually compare and contrast. Because it, that whole coexist idea, that's what it feels like it's doing. It's trying to take the two narratives, you know, here's, I'm in frame now, and mash them together and say somehow or other, this is really what the essence and meaning of life is all about. When the reality of it is that none of this works well, it confuses it, but man, it sure is... At least it seems like there's a lot less conflict if we would just do it that way. And yet, at the end of the day, very, very good people are going to hear from Jesus. And even people who consider themselves Christian, Jesus saying, I'm sorry, your name's not here. I don't know you. Oh, that, that breaks my heart. And I, I maybe, maybe just kind of as closing thought, big, deep thought, uh, how, do we, how do we stay out of this? squishy middle. Yeah. I don't know how deep the thought will be, but um, the interesting thing. So we want to maybe think of this in terms of apologists, like how can I argue someone into this position or that position? But the neat thing about stories is that it's ultimately not about argumentation. It's about simply telling a story and letting the story do its work. Right. So the Christian meta narrative is law and gospel. Mm-hmm. which means that when you tell the meta narrative, the Holy Spirit is working through that and the Holy Spirit is doing what the Holy Spirit needs to be done, right? So in the exact same way that when someone steps out of the movie theaters after watching something like Lord of the Rings or something like that, there's this kind of, you know, kind of puffed up feeling that you have, you know, right. um, especially if you're a Christian, uh, there's these resonances maybe mm-hmm. that have been brought to life when you have that experience. And when you're thinking in these kind of epic terms, um, I, I remember one time leaving, I think it was uh, the dark night and wanting to be a superhero, right? So <laughs> how, how can I be Batman? Right. And really trying to kind of entertain, you know, how can we do this? Right. Because stories have this, this amazing ability to, to make us, think in ways that we normally wouldn't, right? Um, that's why it's sometimes called soft apologetics as opposed to hard apologetics, right? It's, it's the arts that are kind of doing this work. The reason that the arts are able to do that is because they're patterned after the greatest artwork and the greatest story, right? The gospel narrative itself. And this gospel narrative, it's so much more powerful because it is the reality, right? This is not just some type of myth. It's not just some type of motivational story, but it's really telling us who we are and where our place is in this world. It's what Tolkien called the true myth. Mm-hmm. Uh, myth in the sense that it gives grounding and purpose to everything, but it's not like other myths in that it's, it's made up. This is the true one. And as that true myth, it motivates in and of itself, right? And so this is, this is why 
simply thinking about the gospel in terms of this story and then letting this kind of be the way that you share uh, your faith with other people, right? Um, mm-hmm. That it, I think it's just a very kind of useful way of thinking about evangelism in general, right? Um, I am sharing what grounds me and gives me meaning and purpose and value in this life. And if you're not a Christian, you don't have this. You just don't. And I'm going to tell you uh, that you don't. I'm not saying that, that you think your life is meaningless, or, um, right? right? You think your life is meaningful? It is, but you don't have the grounds for it. You don't have the justification for it. I can give you that justification. I can let you know how it is in fact justified, why your life really does have infinite value and meaning when no one else in this world does. And I think that's, that's just the power of the gospel at the end of the day, right? And so it's really just kind of a matter of, of sharing the gospel yeah. and maybe thinking of it in terms of this, of this epic story that you're sharing that grounds people. I think that can be a useful way of thinking about it. I know I do it all the time when I'm talking to especially people dealing with life and death and things like this. Um, but you can do it in any setting. Yeah. Uh, this has been just, thank you. Uh, this has been fantastic. Very helpful. Yeah. We, you will, this will not be the last time (laughs) we'll be doing stuff again. Um, you know, again, just, just a huge thank you. Uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to sign off and just talk to our, our listeners and our viewers real quick here. But uh, Luke, thank you from all our hearts to yours. Uh, be well, be safe. Um, your Life Has Meaning uh, by Pastor Luke Thompson, uh, discovering your role in an epic story. Um, this is a, it's worth a read. Uh, the, the conversation that we've been having today has been largely out of this. It's very accessible. And I, I just want to share that, that one story, you know, uh, Luke's a pastor, and um, I'm a professional Christian. And so for some people who are watching this, that automatically may disqualify some of what we're saying, because you're going to say, well, I can't do that. I'm not those things. So praise God, there's people like Luke to write write uh, books, and there's people like Mike or others to be able to talk about it in a way. I, I'm just not that. I just want to give you an encouragement, uh, fellow Christian, that everything we're talking about um, there's a, there's a simple Psalm that I've always loved. It's Psalm 89. And I, it just says, I will sing of the Lord's great love forever with my mouth. I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. And I love for us to just think about the simplicity of, again, of the gospel. Um, your basic story is you were dead, but Christ made you alive, but God made you alive in Christ because of what he did for us. So you can start there. Every Christian we all have that story, but then there are the additional little pieces that are unique to you in terms of the how God is working in your life in this whole meta narrative. And so the times where you have prayed and you asked God for something and it was huge, and He said yes, and you celebrated the grace of God, the gift, the blessing, the and and you celebrated the story of God's faithfulness. For every time that God said no. And you, your dreams crumbled, but God held you. And all of those other promises that, that start to come up that he said, I'll even make your mistakes work out for your good and my glory in the end. You know, and all of the spaces where you're praying and God just doesn't seem to be speaking and answering or moving fast enough, but he's sitting right next to you in the silence. Those remain unique stories of God's faithfulness that only you get to tell. And they matter. They're going to matter to your kids. They're going to matter to your parents. They're going to matter to your neighbors. They're going to matter to the people that you're in in your dorm room with. It is simply just saying, look, I'm connected to this story. This is my story. 
And here are some of the ways that it's working out. And you know what? I don't have all the answers, but I would love for you to be connected to this story. So you don't have to be a pastor to do what the church calls evangelism. You just have to be a part of the story and telling your part of the story, which is that God did it all. Praise God. Amen. So uh, your life has meaning. You can get that on Amazon and at nph.net. We will... uh, uh, again back more with uh, with Mike Checks uh, coming up. Uh, I've got a number of people that I'd love to be able to interview in the future too, but if this has been helpful to you, um, please comment below if there's been an aha moment, a takeaway. If you've got a question for myself or for Pastor Luke George Thompson, uh, I will certainly get that to him and uh, give him an opportunity to, to put an answer out. But uh, again, thanks for being with me. Uh, I am Mike Westendorf. This is Mike Check, Christian culture kind of video podcast as we take a look at uh, the biblical worldview and apply it to everyday life. So thanks for being with us. We will see you again.